Well, any Sunday that we gather in this place, we talk about Jesus. We talk about Jesus because he has given us our reason for being, our purpose for getting up in the morning, and so we want to make much of him every Sunday. But most definitely this Sunday, as we celebrate the day that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus not only died for us, but that he now lives for us. So it is an encouraging, it is an upbeat morning, it is a happy Easter morning. And just this past week, I was talking with my six-year-old daughter about Easter, and we were talking about the morning and the outfit she would wear, and we were getting excited, and she said, but dad, it's going to rain. Dad, it's, it's going to rain, because she had heard Amy and I talking about it, and she had seen that on the news that we had watched. She said, but it's going to rain. And the idea there, the implication was, even for children, Sunday, Easter Sunday is upbeat, it's shiny, it's glorious. And she said, but it's going to be raining as if that would dampen the reality that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I said, baby, listen, if sin, death, and hell itself can't hold Jesus down, I don't think the rain's going to bother him much either. And she said, yeah, but what about a giant earlobe? What about a giant earlobe? And I said, that is the most random thing I have ever heard in my life. But I don't even think a giant earlobe could hold back Jesus on Easter Sunday. As random and unique as that story is, you know, it is a day we celebrate and we smile and many of us, we, we, we think even more so about what we will wear into the house of the Lord. But that metaphor is so, well, it's so applicable, isn't it? Because we do assume that we're maybe with the rain and the overcast skies that will somehow damper what God is up to, what we will celebrate. And I don't want to be naive that we walk in this place, we walk in those doors, and that every one of our problems, every one of our concerns falls by the wayside, and life is blissful. Jesus is alive, but life still is a grind. Jesus is alive, but life is still difficult. Jesus is alive, but there are still fears or uncertainties in our world. Maybe you came in here this morning feeling the angst or the anxiety of the fears and the uncertainty of your future like the rain clouds on an Easter morning. Well, I want to tell you, I believe that the Lord woke you up and brought you here to remind you of this truth that I hope you never forget. Jesus will always respond to the fears, the uncertainty, and the overcast clouds in our lives with the promise of peace. Jesus will always meet our fears and our uncertainties with the offer of lasting, permanent peace. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see where this is true from God's Word. Would you stand with me in honor of Scripture? And we're going to read from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll read verses 19 through 23 together. John's Gospel account says this, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out and headed for the tomb. 
The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. And he entered the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on the head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in. He saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So verse 10, then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Verse 19, when it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. And Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus came. He stood among them in a locked room. And the first words after coming back from the dead where peace be with you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am grateful to say Happy Easter to the men and the women and the children that I have encountered on this campus. And it is a joyous day. But Lord Jesus, we have this story in Scripture of the first Sunday after the resurrection with your followers who are scared. They are fearful because of the uncertainty about the future. Surely that describes how many of us feel about life right now. I thank you that this is the first encounter with your disciples on Easter Sunday. And that your truth is still living and active today. That you come to us in this moment and you answer our concern and our fears and the uncertainty of life with the promise that peace be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was crucified on a Friday afternoon. Good Friday, to be exact. Jesus gave up his spirit. He died around sundown on that Friday. And the Jewish law of Sabbath, the Jewish command of Sabbath, was to rest from sundown on Friday night till sundown on Saturday night. You may remember that Jesus' followers hurriedly got him down from the cross and rushed to get him into a borrowed tomb. They were not able to completely finish the anointing and the embalming on that Friday, but they put him in the tomb, and the stone was rolled over the tomb. Roman soldiers were stationed outside the tomb to guard it, and the governor's seal was placed on the tomb, instructing anyone that you will be punished by death if you break this seal or move this stone. All day, 24 hours went by from Friday night to Saturday night. And when the Sabbath concluded on Saturday night at sundown, it was too dark. It wasn't the best of circumstances to rush to the tomb at night. So they waited until Sunday morning when the sun broke, and it was the first Sunday after the crucifixion of Jesus. John, a follower of Jesus, in his eyewitness account, tells us that Mary Magdalene, one of the followers of Jesus, ran to the tomb. 
She ran to the tomb, most likely to finish the embalming process, and perhaps also hoping and praying that everything Jesus had said about being raised from the dead three days after his death would also be true. She ran to the tomb, and when she arrived there, the tomb was empty. The body was gone. The soldiers had scattered. So she runs to tell Peter and John, two of the closest followers of Jesus. Jesus had 12 original disciples, but Peter and John were among a much closer inner circle with Jesus. So it makes sense that she would run and tell the disciples. And when they heard this news, they too ran to the tomb to examine what Mary had seen for themselves. When they arrived at the tomb, it was the same thing. John tells us that he outran Peter. He calls himself the other disciple. He's talking about himself, the one Jesus loved, mighty humble of him. He lets us know the one that Jesus loved outran Peter to the tomb, but he stopped and he paused. And Peter ran in, and eventually we both saw the same thing. There's no body. The Lord is not here. Matter of fact, his shroud, his burial shroud, was folded and set in a nice, neat place beside where he must have laid. The Bible tells us they didn't fully comprehend, verse 9, they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. You know, I've often thought, had I been one of the disciples, I probably would have caught it on the first time Jesus said something. If he said, this is how it's going down, I will be crucified for the sins of the world, but the Lord will raise me again on the third day, I seem to think I would have gotten it that first time. But the longer I live and the more the, more the Lord matures my heart, I realize it may have taken me a while as well. To truly believe that everything Jesus said could be trusted. The disciples didn't fully comprehend everything that they were seeing. And verse 10 tells us the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. The disciples were staying in a secluded place, hidden away from the rest of the community. The disciples who had followed Jesus who had told others, he is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. We believe him. We follow him. They had lived among and traveled with him for nearly three years of his public ministry. And now their rabbi, now their leader, had been murdered. Now the Jews, those who believed in the God that the disciples believed in, but did not believe that Jesus was the promised one that God had told would come in the flesh. Well, they had participated in shouting for the crucifixion of Jesus, as had others. I want to tell you, had we been there, we might have shouted the same thing. We might have been just as complicit physically with our actions there. But Scripture tells us that Jesus went to the cross because he had been sent by God to remove the sin of the world. When Jesus arrived for his public ministry, John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there might have been Jewish men and women. There might have been Roman men and women who were there who were pleased to see this take place. But it was our sin. It was all of us who were complicit in Jesus making his way to the cross. When they were in this locked room, they were scared and they were fearful because the Jesus they had followed is now dead. And if the Jewish people, of which they were Jewish, if the Jewish people had crucified Jesus and we're his followers, then we are most likely to them guilty by association. So they huddled up in a locked room, locked doors, secluded, as safe as it could possibly be for self-preservation's sake. But Scripture tells us, verse 19, at the end of this day that Mary had run to the tomb, that Peter and John had run to the tomb with the doors locked because they were anxious 
They were fearful and concerned about, they were concerned about their future, their lives. Suddenly, Jesus appeared. Suddenly, Jesus appeared. If they were uneasy or afraid before, I suggest to you, had we been there, that would have been a little unsettling to see the risen Jesus appear in a locked room. The first of all, many of them had scattered. They had abandoned him when the chips were down. What was running through their head was most likely, hey, the last time many of us saw him, we bailed on him. This cannot be good. But more than that, their fears and their anxiety had to slide over to the freaked out portion of their emotions and their mind when he stood among them inside the locked room. The weight of fear and anxiety and their angst and uncertainty and uneasiness about their very lives must have been obvious to Jesus. It must have been so obvious to Jesus, most definitely because he knew the door was locked, but also because they were most likely physically and visibly terrified that the first thing the risen Jesus says to them is four words, peace be with you. The first thing Jesus says to respond to their fear and their uneasiness is peace be with you. Now peace be with you was a common greeting of hospitality. Oftentimes throughout centuries in the Christian church, we, we will say in congregations, depending upon tradition or preference, we will say within worship services, peace to you. You'll say that to someone seated next to you. Oftentimes a, a minister will stand on the platform and say, let us pass the peace to one another. And you will extend the peace of Jesus to someone around you. And they will usually say, and also to you. That reality comes from the truth that this was a common greeting. Peace be with you. Jesus is letting them know, I have not come to get after you for bailing on me when the chips were down. But Jesus says it twice in a matter of seconds. I don't know if you picked up on the redundancy of that, but John is very specific. If you read his entire gospel, he's very specific about what he writes. And Jesus, the Son of God, is very intentional about what he says and what the Father has recorded for us through the power of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. He says secondly, redundantly, repetitively in a matter of seconds. But I said, peace be with you. Jesus is talking the second time about much more than just a greeting. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. And no doubt, even if you are not of a Jewish background, you may have heard the word shalom. And what it communicates is that God, when he established man and woman, when he created humans, he intended for them to have a permanent, lasting harmony with him, a flourishing of God with men and women. And that's what Adam and Eve had. We won't recount everything from the Garden of Eden, but that's what they had. They had a sense of wholeness, a sense of completion. They didn't have to go looking for it in relationships with others. They didn't have to go looking for it in the work, in the garden. They didn't need anyone else to give them a sense that they measured up, that they were whole and complete. They didn't have a care in the world. There was no fear of needing to lock the gates of Eden. They were secure, they were safe, there was joy, there was contentment. That's what the word peace, shalom, is intended to mean. That's what Jesus is saying to them. The peace of God 
to you. I see your fears. I see your uneasiness. You know that my Father has always wanted peace for you. Now, we know we live on this side of the Garden of Eden. Shortly after Adam and Eve had this relationship of flourishing and wholeness and completeness with God, that when they disobeyed God in Genesis chapter 3, they invited sin into the world, and sin separates us from God. It damages and affects the peace that God intended for us to have with him. If you ever pick up from Scripture that God hates sin, that it grieves him when humans sin, or that there is sin in general in the world, the reason is because he absolutely hates, like a parent to a child, he hates that it breaks the peace that he wants a man and a woman to experience, that he wants an individual to have in their life. He hates that you and I don't have a sense of wholeness and completeness that is not dictated by other circumstances in our life. That grieves him. That's why he, that's why he has a disdain for sin, which separates us from his peace. Now, you and I may have stretches of peace or harmony or calm in our life. You know, I mean, for many of us, we, we hated to see 2017 go because it was a great year. There was a sense of joy, a sense of peace. And we have stretches of that. Things are good for a while. We can maintain things that are up to us to a certain extent, but none of us can maintain or sustain peace and harmony and wholeness and a sense of constant security you can't do that forever. How many of us are so grateful the calendar turned in 2018? Can't wait to get out of last year. I had no peace, no joy. It's so uncertain. I'm, I'm scared. So when Jesus offers peace, he's offering what God originally wanted for you and for me. And he's saying we do live in a beautiful and a broken world. And you will have fears. And you will be uneasy at times. And sometimes people will not like you. And you will be anxious or eager. But you can still have the peace that my father offers. And that's what he wanted for them. If you have this peace, you can have a sense of wholeness and completeness in spite of the noise and the confusion and the instability that swirls around you in the community and in culture and around the world. The peace that Jesus offers is a sense of wholeness, a sense of completion and contentment that is in spite of what our circumstances might be. I mean, Jesus said this in John 16, just a few days earlier in his last dinner conversation with the disciples. He said, I've told you that life is hard. It's a grind. I have told you this. Because in this life, you will have much trouble. There's going to be rainy days even on Easter. But what else did Jesus say in the rest of that promise to them? But I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, take my peace. Because I've overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Christus Victor. Christ, victorious. Jesus showed them his hands and his side. That's one of the first things he did. He knew they still needed a little encouragement, right? He wanted to drive home the point. So he showed them his hands and his side. And when they realized it's really him, everything that God has ever promised us has come true in Jesus. And he's resurrected. It's real. It's legit. Their heart was full of joy. 
There is a God, and his name must be Jesus. So whatever he's promising, there's no power and no authority that's greater than him. Sin, death, hell, rainy days, obstacles, challenges, hardship, nothing has power or authority over Jesus. So when he promises something, he can bring it to fruition. Their hearts were so grateful. The doors were still locked. Hear me, the doors were still locked. They were still scared. There was still uncertainty. And when they finally unlocked that door and peeked out into the hallway, they didn't know what was waiting. But they knew they had peace. They knew they had peace because of what had happened on Friday. The Bible tells us that on the cross, through the shedding of his perfect blood, Jesus made peace with the Father on our behalf. That through the shedding of his perfect blood, he covered our sin and he closed the gap. Colossians 1.20 says he made peace through his blood on the cross. And Ephesians 2.13 says we have been brought near to God because Jesus is our peace. That because of his death and most definitely because of Easter Resurrection Sunday... Jesus has made peace possible. He's made, a, he, he's made an existence of wholeness, of confidence available for you and for me. That no matter what's swirling around you, 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 you can find stability in this life. You can find contentment and joy, whether you have plenty or whether you live in want. You can know that God is with you and that his peace stabilizes your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus when there is a hardship or an illness or a difficulty, that even if you have health or even if you have a terrible illness, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding has been made available to you through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. And time and time again, Jesus showed them he could do this. He showed them over and over and over again he could do this. Man, I'm 41, but when I was 4, when I was 14, this was one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Luke tells it this way. One day Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Then a fierce windstorm came down on the lake and they were being swamped and were in danger. And they came and they woke Jesus up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. In other words, how can you sleep through this? The boat is going down. Do something. Then he got up. And Jesus got up and he walked to the front of the boat and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. This man rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, you can come this far, but you can come no further. And the Bible says, so the wind and the waves ceased. And there was calm. There was peace. The wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. Well, of course they did. Of course the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. 
Because in the beginning was God, and in the beginning the Word was with God. Jesus has always existed. He was part of creating everything that we see and experience. So when Jesus tells the wind and the waves to be still, peace, be still, as one gospel writer says, the wind and the waves had to obey. They recognized the voice of the one who authored them and said, you must submit. You must stop. The wind and the waves and the sea became like glass. Jesus had demonstrated time and time again, listen, I've come to bring you my Father's peace. Even in the middle of life's storms, you can't control what people do. You can't control what's waiting on you this week. But I can promise you, you can have peace. The same Jesus who calmed the storm is the same Jesus God raised from the dead that in 2018 on April 1st says, Peace be with you. And as I look around this room of beautifully creative, intelligent, diverse individuals, do you know who shaped and made you? Scripture tells us that you were knit together. You were made by God. And if Jesus is God and there's no power greater than God, then Jesus can speak to you. Peace to you. And calm the uncertainty and the fear in your life. And because he's alive, that's what Easter's all about. Oh my word, God raised his son from the dead. Can't nothing stop Jesus. If he says peace, it's going to happen. What he's telling the disciples is, I can do that. What we don't read is him saying, you want that? I can do that. Do you want that? Because when Jesus responds to the fears and the uncertainties and the uneasiness in our life with the offer of peace, he's saying, I have done what's necessary to make it available, and I can guarantee it. The rest is up to you. Do you want this? And so here's what I'm going to encourage you to do this morning. I'm going to encourage you to consider whether or not you want this authoritative, powerful, all-powerful, surpasses human understanding, peace of God in the person of Jesus to rule and reign in your heart and in your mind and in your life and in your circumstances. He says four words to you today. Peace be with you. And he brings you to this moment to ask, do you want this peace? Because the same Jesus who offered it 2,000 years ago is living and offering that peace today. So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. I'm going to encourage all of us, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus by professing your belief in him or not, I'm going to encourage you to do something before we leave the room. I will not manipulate you. I will not pull and prod and poke at you to, to get you to do something you don't want to do. But I'm going to strongly encourage you to pray and say, Jesus, speak peace to me. Speak peace to my life. Ooh. Oh, that's a prayer he would love to honor and answer. So let me encourage you to do this. Would you just close your eyes and, and bow your heads if that helps you eliminate any distraction in the room?